Audrey, I feel sorry for you. He's feeling his oats today. We'll cut that out of the video. It's okay. Yeah, he has, uh, what do you call that, executive privilege over the video and what content goes in and what comes out. So uh, I guess we have to take the good with the bad, don't we? Well, good morning, everybody, and I certainly hope that you've had a wonderful week basking in the presence and the blessings of the Lord, and maybe you've had a God thing happen to you this week. I have a message this morning. The little bit of it we talked about a couple of years back, but I want to talk about a scripture that I found well, I didn't find it. The Lord put it there and he led me to it. <laughs> it's not a, not a scavenger hunt. James chapter 5. We're going to read verses 10 and 11. And then we're going to talk about what this means and where it's going to lead us. Father, I just ask your blessing upon this word this morning. The showers of blessings, Lord, that we were just playing which Sister Melva told us was her favorite song. Let the mercy drops around us fall today and anoint this message in Jesus' name. Amen. James 5, 10 through 11 says, Take, my brethren, the prophets who have spoken in the name of the Lord for an example of suffering, affliction, and of patience. Behold, we count them happy, which endure. You've heard of the patience of Job and have seen the end of the Lord, that the Lord is very pitiful and of tender mercy. The end of the Lord. That's the message title I would give this morning. The very familiar story of Job has so much depth and content to it, we could spend week upon week studying it and not exhaust it. But I want to focus on a couple of things this morning that I do believe the Lord has shed light on in my heart. So first, there is the before picture. In Job 1.1, if you want to flip over to Job, we're going to leave James and uh, we're going to flip through Job real quickly to get towards the end. But in Job 1.1, Job is described as a perfect and upright man, one who feared God. And because he was Jacob's grandson, he was reared in godly teaching. He came from godly stock. And as such, Job offered burnt offerings daily, the Bible says continually, on behalf of his sons, just in case they sinned against God. Job was a wealthy man, one who'd built a life of luxury and security for himself and his family. And he was regarded as a strong leader in the community. But that was before, for verse 6 says, there came a day when everything changed. Verse 8, 
the Lord said unto Satan, Check out my servant Job, for there is none like him in all the earth. He's perfect. He's upright. He fears me, and he stays away from evil. And that day, Satan played a game with God. He shouldn't have played. He gambled, and Job was the prize. Satan didn't care at all about Job, but he cared immensely about proving God wrong. For he said, let me at him and all of his blessings, and he'll curse you to your face. But God knew the hearts of both Satan and Job, and yet God allowed this to happen because he had a little work of perfecting Job to do. And you know the story that when that fateful day came, all that Job had amassed was lost within the day. But the Bible says that Job humbled himself and he worshiped the Lord saying that the Lord gave it all to me and the Lord has taken it all away. Blessed be the name of the Lord and in all this Job sinned not. Then Satan was doubly determined Another meeting occurred between God and Satan. And Satan said to God, let me at his flesh and he will curse you to your face. And again, God set the parameters, the rules of the game by which Satan had to play. And he allowed Satan to afflict his body, but he set the boundary at his life. Satan could not touch his life. So Job's body was in pain. He was hurt and humiliated. And Job's own wife offered her two cents and said, just throw in the towel, give it all up, and curse God and die. Seems like Satan had already had a little contact with her. But Job said, no, shall we receive only the good from the hand of God and not evil also? So still, in all of this, Job sinned not. I want to point out here that Job could clearly see that the hand of the Lord was at work. For he said, the Lord brings the good and he allows the evil, both. But he could not see the end of the Lord, as James wrote. And still the affliction and the suffering of Job wore on. And then, of course, we enter the uh, portion of the scripture where his triplet of friends, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, come to the rescue. Yeah. At first, they were very sympathetic to Job and his plight, and they mourned with him because he was so sorely afflicted and in pain. But then they decided that they could fix the problem if Job would just heed their wise counsel. And for the next 20 chapters, 20 plus, maybe 23-ish or so, which most scholars agree took place over a period of somewhere between one month and six months time, Job wreathed in pain, sunk deeply into a great depression and wallowed in self-pity and self-hatred. 
Then Job, trying so hard to make sense of it all, and in chapters 26 through 31, he acted as his own defense counsel, and he virtually called God to the witness stand in order that God himself would corroborate his own story of innocence. He demanded a verdict of God of not guilty. The almighty God doesn't react to our demands as we know. And then Job rested his case and he waited on God for the sure to come answer that he was expecting. He couldn't see the end of the Lord. And now if you wanna to turn to chapter 32, you can follow along here. God sent Job an unsung hero of the faith, a very special instrument of his mercy for there was yet another friend, one whom we'd not heard from in scripture until now, who'd been silent all this time, but who'd heard the pathetic advice from the three friends and seen all the emotional damage that they'd caused, while all the while being unable to offer any solid solutions to Job. And this man had also seen and heard Job's continual attempts to justify and defend himself, thereby pointing the guilty finger of his plight at God instead of trusting in God's mercy and justice to lead him through it. It was he, Elihu, Abraham's young nephew, who'd stayed quiet all this time because of the great respect that he had been taught to give to his elders, he finally spoke up and he brought forth the word of the Lord. In chapter 32, verse 8, he starts out with this. But there is a spirit in man, and the inspiration of the Almighty giveth them understanding. Great men are not always wise. Neither do the aged's, aged understand justice, or judgment, excuse me. And then if you jump down to verse 18, and Elihu continues on. For I am full of matter. The spirit within me constraineth me, Behold, my belly is as wine which hath no vent. It is ready to burst like new bottles. I will speak that I may be refreshed, and I will open my lips and answer. In other words, Elihu saying, if I don't speak up now and say my piece now, I'm going to explode. And for the next few chapters, Elihu tells Job of the errors of his ways, his folly in charging God and focusing only on his own innocence instead of falling completely upon God's mercy and judgment. In chapter 36, 
Elihu says, Job, just stay with me a little while longer, for I'm speaking the very words of God to you. Yes, it is true, God deals with people, but in the end, it is his very nature to uphold the righteous and to despise the wicked. He preserves not the life of the wicked, but he withdraws not his eyes from the righteous. No matter what it looks like to you, Job, hang on while you're in this pit of despair. Church, listen to this. It will help us to understand not only this story, but things that happen in our own lives. And Elihu continues in verse 8, with the completion of this explanation for Job, and if the righteous be bound in fetters and be holden in cords of affliction, then he showeth them their works and their transgressions that they have exceeded, and, the, oh, and he openeth their ear to discipline, and he commandeth that they return from their iniquity. And there you have the whole story of the book of Job. If Job would have just held on to God a little longer and not been so wrapped up in his own defense and his own innocence, he too would have seen that the end of the Lord was good for him. Verse 13 but the hypocrites in heart heap up wrath. They cry not when he bindeth them. What a different story. They die in their youth and their life is among the unclean. But God delivereth the poor in his affliction and he openeth their ears in oppression. And in verse 16, the Message Bible reads like this. Oh, Job, don't you see how God's wooing you? And here you are laden with the guilt of the wicked, obsessed with putting blame on God. Judgment and justice have taken hold on you. Because you have wrath, beware lest he take thee away with one stroke. Then a great ransom cannot deliver thee. Remember who God is. In chapter 37, verse 14, Elihu concludes with this, describing the wondrous works of God the greatest of care and feeding and the oversight that God bestows upon his very possessions, his people whom he rules by this mercy. And then Elihu had given what God had put into his heart to say, and he was finished. And then it was God's turn to set Job straight. God made it very clear to Job that there was no one who compared to him in might, in creative ability, 
in majesty, and most importantly to Job and to us, no one compares with God's mercy. If you see, the end of the Lord that James spoke about was the very restoration of Job that God wanted to do for him all along. But first, he needed to show Job a few things about himself. At first, Job couldn't see it. In chapter 40, verse 4, Job said, Now I see it. I am vile. What shall I answer thee? I will lay my, my hand upon my mouth and not go any further. But it so happens that God wasn't quite finished convincing Job that he could manage Job's life far better than Job himself ever could. And I want to say a side note right here. This is some of my favorite part of the scripture. This is some of the most interesting reading where God brings his own resume to the table and lays it out for Job and all of us to read of his power, his might, his accomplishments. And in chapters 40, 38 through 42, excuse me, in chapter 41, uh, read about God's play toy, Leviathan. If you want a good chuckle, read chapter 41. It's really comical, where God talks to Job about, can you tickle him and you cause his tail to crack and you do these things to the great Leviathan? It's really fun. And I close with this. In chapter 42, Job said, O oh God, for I know that thou canst do everything and that no thought can be withheld from you. There is nothing hidden from you and I have uttered words that I didn't understand. Words that were too deep for me to know. King James says too wonderful, but it's not wonderful in a great and mighty sense. It's wonderful in that it's awe-inspiring and deep that he didn't understand what he was saying. But he said, now, I have heard of thee by the hearing of my ear, and now I see you, and I abhor myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. And the Lord laid out his instructions to the three friends he actually said, I've had it with you. I don't want any more of your ideas. Job is going to intercede and pray for you, and I will hear Job's prayer on your behalf. I don't know of any other place in Scripture that God said, I've had it with you. I don't want to hear from you anymore. And finally, Job could see for himself the end of the Lord, being full of pity and mercy, because the Bible says that after Job prayed and interceded for his friends, then God turned the captivity of Job. For the Lord restored everything that he'd lost, 
In his mercy, he even doubled that. The Message Bible says that God blessed Job's later life even more than he had his earlier life. He ended up with seven sons and three daughters. And the Message Bible brings out that the first daughter, by interpretation, was named Dove. The second daughter was named Cinnamon. Audrey has a chicken named Cinnamon. Had a chicken named Cinnamon. And the third daughter was named Dark Eyes. And the scripture says there was not a woman in all of the country as beautiful as any of these three of Job's daughters. And Job learned, treat women the same as men, for he gave them inheritance just like he did the sons. I think this is so beautiful. God opened his eyes and opened his ears to his mercy and his pity on the righteous. And he can do the same for you. No matter what the circumstance you're in, even if you cannot see the end of the Lord because your pain and affliction is blinding you, hold on. That would have been Elihu's message to Job. Hold on. Whether it lasts one month or it lasts a lifetime, his plans are good for you. Stay humble and don't judge. And I, the Lord challenged my heart. I said, Lord, who is my Elihu? Where is my Elihu? that would bring the word of the Lord to my heart and set me straight on my path and say, this is why, or that is why. And the Holy Spirit said, be an Elihu to someone else. Be an Elihu. Take my word to someone Who's in need? Who needs uplifting? Who needs to see the light of their ways? I had to say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me for looking into myself and saying, oh, send me the Elihu. When he wants us to reach out and be his hand extended. I heard the words of a beautiful song this morning. It says, you are the potter and I am the clay. When I face the fire again, I will trust the potter's hand. Clay isn't any good if it isn't fired. It won't stand, it won't hold, it won't be cohesive, it will crumble and fall apart unless it's put through fire. Will you stand with me? We know that we can trust the potter's hand. When we're listening to a wonderful message or a song, 
our hearts can soar. But when we're in a pit, facing despair, facing challenges that we've never known before, sometimes we can't see with our eyes and hear with our ears. Reach out to him this morning and ask him to turn on his merciful searchlight of heaven to every corner in our heart that we can see ourselves truthfully through the Holy Spirit to the point that we can say like Job, Oh God, I'm vile and I need your great mercy. Father, we thank you this morning for this word. We thank you for the challenge of the Holy Spirit. And oh God, whether we are the Elihu that brings the word of the Lord to another, or we are the one who's receiving the word, open our eyes of understanding and put the hearing in our hearts, oh God, that we can receive it. Oh, thank you, Jesus, that you gave us a way. You gave us a path to reach you and that we stay upon that path, Lord. We do not deviate from it. Job was a righteous man, perfect before the Lord, yet God had some perfecting yet to do in his heart. And that's how I see us this morning, Lord. Do that final perfecting that we may be truly vessels of honor fit for your use. Oh, we ask it in Jesus' name this morning. We praise and adore you today, Lord Jesus. Have your way in our hearts, oh God. Don't let us be blinded by self, but to see us through your eyes of judgment and pity and mercy in Jesus' name. Go with us this week, O oh Lord. Be with each one. Hold the hands, Lord Jesus, as we sang this morning. Blessed Jesus, hold our hands. In Jesus' name we ask all of these things. Amen and amen.